as I ha look in front of me here and as I have seen the theme of this year's VBS, I thought it was kind of cool, actually, that through no design of my own, it turns out that I happen to be preaching this morning on a passage about a buried treasure, of all things. So that may be one of those God things that he just put together uh, in his economy, but, but we are going to be talking today about a buried treasure, and it's in Matthew chapter 13. This is the last week we will be in Matthew 13. We've been looking at a whole bunch of Jesus' parables, most of which have had to do with the growth of the kingdom of God. But these last two that we're going to look at are actually kind of on a different topic. The more, uh, well, I'll tell you what the topic is in a minute, but let's read them first. Starting in Matthew 13, verse 44. Not a lot of verses today, two very quick parables in three verses. Jesus said, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Pretty short passage today, right? But there's a lot there. Uh, in my first few days as a, a youth pastor uh, down in uh, Lexington, South Carolina, I noticed something kind of weird in our church's youth room. Now, church youth rooms are weird anyway. There's all sorts of furniture with different animals living in it and that sort of thing. But in, in this particular youth room, over in the corner, there was this big life-size mannequin. And uh, like I said, lots of youth rooms have weird stuff, but for this youth room, that was it, this big mannequin that kind of over, stood over in the corner. And I uh, didn't know what it was all about. It, it happened before I came. So I, I, one evening, I asked the youth where this thing came from. And it turns out that the mannequin was the result of a game they had played one night that is called Bigger or Better. Ever play that with your youth group? Here's how it works. You divide your youth group up into teams. I've told Wes about this in case he wants to try it. It might be harder today. But you, you give each team just some really low-value object, like a paperclip or something like that, and you send them out into the neighborhood knocking on doors. And when, when someone has the courage to answer the door for a bunch of teenagers from your youth group, you offer them an item, this item that you have, in exchange for something either bigger or better. And so they'll go into their house and they'll bring you something bigger or better. Then you take that item and you take that to the next house and you get something bigger or better. You take that item, go to the next house, et cetera, et cetera, and you do that until the time runs out and you see what you've got. And somehow this one team had started out with a pencil and they came back to the church with this big mannequin. Um, and I thought that was, that was a pretty good deal. So the bigger or better trade can really, can really work out. Now Jesus, Jesus in these verses is talking about something similar. We've got two guys here in these two parables who have made some, some value judgments, if you will, about what's better than something else, and they've both made really a big trade. And the goal here is to trade up for something of maximum worth. Now the stories are not identical, we're going to see the differences between them, a couple of interesting differences in a few minutes. But one thing they have in common is they both talk about the worth of God's kingdom. Jesus is telling the people here that the kingdom of God is so valuable, so worthwhile, that it is worth giving up everything that you have just to obtain it. It's worth everything. It's infinite in value. 
And as we look at these two brief stories, Jesus is going to talk about purchases, because these guys are going to purchase their, what they get. But don't let that fool you into thinking that the kingdom of heaven is something that we buy, or something that we earn by our good works, or pay money for, or something like that, because that's not the case. The point here is really more of a trade. The kingdom of God is a free gift. But in order to receive it, in order to take hold of it, you need to let go of something else that you're currently hanging on to so that you can grab it. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's take a quick look at these little mini parables. And the first one, we've got this guy who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And it seems as if, it's not like he was out on some sort of treasure hunt. It looks like he just kind of stumbles upon this, this priceless treasure. And he can't believe his good fortune. He's like, I can't believe this is here. What in the world is this treasure doing here? This is the opportunity of a lifetime because this field is for sale. And this is just too good to be true. And the man is filled with joy because of this treasure that he has just found unexpectedly. And the first thing he does, Jesus says, is to rehide the treasure. He buries it again. Well, why? Well, quite obvious. He doesn't want anyone else to come by and see the same thing that he has discovered. He wants to kind of keep it a secret till he buys the field. I can remember years ago, probably 15 years ago now, when Nintendo first came out with the Wii console. Anybody have a Wii at home? It's probably gathering dust now, but back then, that was a huge deal. And that Wii was a huge deal for my kids because they were into video games. We had never actually bought them a video game console in our lives. We didn't need to because they had a grandmother who attended to those kinds of things. But the, the, the Wii, if you remember this, when the Wii first came out, it was almost impossible to find. Nobody could get one. Not even my mom could find one. But, but one day... I was in the, uh, the, Winston, uh, the Walmart up, on, uh, up on 150, and it had just been built, actually. The Walmart was less than a year old. And just on a lark, I looked at the video game display, and incredibly, down on the bottom shelf of the video game cabinet was just one Wii console just sitting there. And I looked down, and I'm like, what is that doing here? I can't believe that could be available. This seems too good to be true. It's right here, just a few miles from my house. And so I went to open the cabinet, and of course, it was locked. So now I've got to find an employee to get the key, which means I have to take my eyes off of this Wii. So I thought, what am I going to do? Because I'm going to get the employee. Somebody else is going to come with another employee and get the Wii, and I'm not going to get it. So I looked around. I thought about actually taking a display and moving it in front of the video game cabinet or something like that so nobody could see this. But that was not going to work. It was going to be too obvious. So I ran as fast as I could. I looked for somebody in a blue vest or whatever they have at Walmart. I found somebody. He came back. He unlocked it. The Wii was still there. He was kind of surprised himself that it was still available. And I eventually walked away with my prize. But my thought at that moment was, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? These things don't just come down the pike every day. I couldn't even believe it was here. Don't miss out. And that's what's going on with the man who finds this treasure. And he ends up paying a lot for this field. Did you notice that? Almost as much as I paid for that we. No, actually, he, he pays a lot more because he sells all that he has to get this treasure. And it's a safe bet that his friends all think that he's totally off of his rocker when they found out that he's done this because for all they know, he's just bought a field. And the field wasn't worth what he paid for it. Because this thing makes absolutely no sense until you know about the treasure. And as it happens, the joy of the kingdom of God, the joy of God's kingdom is hidden 
to most of the people in this world. Following Jesus, we talk about following Jesus, seeking after his kingdom, whatever that is, seeking his righteousness. It sounds like it would lead to an awfully boring and dull and kind of impoverished life to do that, right? Full of doing things you don't want to do, going places you don't want to go, hanging out with people you don't always want to hang out with, being religious, missing out on lots of fun and pleasure, having people think you're weird sometimes. And in some countries it's different because it means actually putting your life in danger. But, you know, can't, can't you just hear the guy who found the treasure laughing under his breath when anybody comes up to him and, and reminds him of how badly he got ripped off when he bought that field? You know, he's like, <laughs> little do they know what is hidden in that field. That's what it's like for the follower of Jesus when people accuse us of making a really dumb decision, right? <laughs> yeah. Little do they know because the Holy Spirit has not given them the eyes to see the great worth of following Jesus Christ. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But for now, let's look at the second parable, the one about the pearl. The pearl is a little different case. It's very similar parable, obviously, but the treasure hidden in the field was kind of an unexpected blessing that the man seems to have just kind of stumbled across. He wasn't really looking for it. So it's basically what we call an impulse purchase, right? He just did it. And sometimes impulse purchases, you know this, are things that you regret, right? Anyone ever make an impulse purchase that they regretted? The first impulse purchase that I ever regret making, in fact, I guess it was a purchase my dad made. I didn't make it myself, but I was about seven or eight years old. And when I was seven or eight years old, McDonald's first came out with the Shamrock Shake. Remember that? It's a green milkshake that they would come out with at St. Patrick's Day. And I was a, I was a huge milkshake fan, and I love the color green, so I figure... What could possibly be wrong with a green milkshake, right? So I, I bugged my parents mercilessly to get me a shamrock shake before St. Patrick's Day, you know, came. And then one night, finally, we went to the McDonald's drive-thru, and my dad relented, and he bought me a shamrock shake, which I sucked down as fast as I could, and then I promptly puked up all over the back of our station wagon. Because <laughs> it, it turned out it was not the great thing that I thought it was. It was actually kind of disgusting. Now, you may like them. I don't want to, you know, say I'm sure they're very nutritious and everything. But, but I've, I've, I've never tried one of those things since. It turned out to be a bad purchase. And some of those folks, you know, listening to Jesus, maybe are wondering, okay, well, if I take the chance, if I make this trade, if I, if I, if I give up everything and trade everything for this kingdom of God, Will it really be worth it in the end, or am I going to regret that decision? Maybe not right away like the Shamrock Shake, but I'm not, at some point along down the line, is this going to turn out to be a bad investment? But the second big trade that Jesus talks about here is no impulse purchase. Did you notice that? This is a man who specializes in fine pearls. He knows a good thing when he sees one, and he takes his time and probably does his research, and although he also gives up everything to get that pearl, he knows that this is a good deal. He knows this is a sound investment. And it's interesting, people take different paths to Jesus. Some of them seem to respond to his invitation, you know, right away in the joy of the moment, and they go, woohoo, Jesus, oh, I, can I can get saved, all right. And they're, 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 they're sold, they're done. Others are kind of take the long way around. You know, they put the gospel to the test. They think, they, think, they analyze, they compare, they, they weigh the options, and it takes a while. And sometimes those two different types of people in the church have a hard time understanding each other. But you know what? At the end of the day, it is the same Holy Spirit 
drawing people to Christ, whether it's quickening someone's heart to respond in the heat of that first moment, or whether it is some sort of roundabout journey that ends at the foot of the cross where the surrender finally happens and they are captivated by the worth and the beauty of that magnificent pearl that has no equal. But whether you come to Christ on the spur of the moment, and some of you I'm sure did, or whether you take the long way around, and some of you did that, one thing is for sure, the decision is worth it. It's worth it. Jesus confirms this with not one parable here, but two. They're just told from a slightly different perspective. Following Jesus, seeking after his kingdom, giving your life to him is a decision that you will never regret. Now, what does this decision entail, though? What is, the, what is the trade we've been talking about? Now, we've been talking about it in some ways for the last several weeks as we've talked about the kingdom of God. But one of the truths that we keep coming back to in our discussion of God's kingdom is that you have to live for something. You have to live for something. You have to invest your life somewhere. You've got your body, your time, your strength, your mind, your energy. You've got, you, you have to invest them somewhere if you're going to live And beyond that, I would say that you you have to have, whether you realize it or not, some overarching goal or purpose that gives shape and gives meaning to all the other things that you do in your life. So whether you realize it or not, I'm going to call it an integrating purpose. Whether you realize it or not, you have one integrating purpose, one pursuit in your life that ultimately ends up being the reason that you do all the other things. Now, what are some examples? Well, for some people, that integrating purpose in their life could be the pursuit of pleasure. Or maybe they'd call it happiness. So the goal in life is to get to that place where you can be free of all life's hassles and inconveniences, and you can be released to enjoy your most enjoyable pastimes. And that might be, you know, for some people, it's partying on the weekends. For some people, it might be hanging out on the beach or at the lake or at the racetrack. For some people, it's playing a sport. For some people, it's reading a book. For some, it's playing with your grandkids or or some other pleasant activity. And, And when you're doing this activity, what you're thinking is, you know what? This is what I live for. This is what I got up in the morning for. This, this is why I slave for, for 50 out of 52 weeks in the year so that I can be here and, and I can be doing this thing. And we might even refer to it by saying what? This is the life. This is the life. That might be your integrating purpose. For other people, that integrating purpose might be to achieve to achieve great things in some area of life, whether it's in business or in some hobby or or some other area. For others, the integrating purpose might be to get people to approve of you or to like you or to admire you or at least just to appreciate you. For other people, the integrating purpose in life is to bring up the perfect family or to bring up as close as possible to the perfect family because if you can do that successfully, that will give meaning to your life and make it all worthwhile. For other people, the goal is to accumulate wealth and provide enough financial security that you never have to worry about tomorrow. And to be honest, there are some other people, maybe a lot of people, whose integrating purpose in life, even though it's probably unstated, is just to remain busy. You know, to keep moving, to keep working, to keep being active, maybe so they never have to think about whether they really have an integrating purpose or what it is. Have you ever asked yourself, this is look in the mirror time, right? If you ever asked yourself, what is the integrating purpose in my life? What is the, what is the big thing that I'm trying to do, get done, accomplish, or, or happen here that, that, that really underlies all the other things that I find myself doing every day? What, why did I really get up this morning, and why do I plan to do all the things I plan to do? What am I hoping to get in the final analysis? 
When Jesus in Matthew 6.33 says this, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he is making a very clear invitation for you and me to make God's kingdom the integrating purpose of our lives. And when he says this, he's not saying that those other things are all not worth doing. No, what he's saying is that none of those other things that we mentioned, none of those things are valuable enough, worthwhile enough, solid enough to be the integrating purpose of your life. They don't qualify. They can't be that thing that brings ultimate meaning to everything else. Your money, your work, your family, your hobbies, your reputation, your achievements will all fail you at some point if you are looking to them for ultimate security and satisfaction. These things cannot handle the pressure. And so when we put them in that position, they will become idols and we will become slaves to them and our lives will fall apart when they inevitably fail us. But Jesus will never fail you. And that's why his purpose, the purpose that he lays out for you here, is the right one to build your life upon. When you embrace the kingdom of God, when you embrace the kingdom of God as the thing that you seek first and foremost, then you can be sure that your work, your investments, your prayers, your achievements will last, not just for a lifetime. They will last for eternity. Because with your time, with your efforts, with your prayers, even with your money, you'll be helping to bring priceless human beings into a relationship with a loving God, and that relationship will never, ever end. It will change them forever, just like it changed you. And the joy that comes from that will never be taken away. When you embrace the kingdom of God, you will also be growing into a new family. You see some of these people here. A community of people who live together and love together and swim together a welcome pool sometimes and, and, and work together and worship together and ultimately will enjoy the presence of God together for all of eternity. That's what Jesus says one of the great blessings of the kingdom of God is you get all these other moms and dads and brothers and sisters and, and everything, new family members. When you embrace the pursuit of God's kingdom, it also changes you. The Holy Spirit will start to develop qualities in you like humility, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control, the love of others. As slowly but surely, you're, you're molded into the image of Jesus. And then when you really begin to pursue God's kingdom, eventually, your dreams will change. Your dreams those things you think about when you're not thinking about anything, your aspirations. As much as you might look forward to catching fish on the lake, you're going to look forward even more like Peter and John did eventually to catching people by introducing them to Jesus. Instead of fantasizing about having lots of expensive things, you'll begin to fantasize about how awesome it would be to give a lot of them away to people. Instead of thinking about how great it would be for people to finally appreciate you or compliment you or love you or praise you, you're going to become fixated on one day hearing the voice of the Son of God himself say, well done. Come on into my joy. Come on into my eternal happiness. And these changes, yeah, they're going to bring a lot of challenges into your life. They're going to bring some difficult times into your life, for sure. But you know what? They also bring a lot of joy into your life. A lot of joy. And that's why the guy who finds the treasure in the field, he doesn't go, oh brother, now I've got to buy this field to get the treasure. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He jumps for joy. 
It's, wow, look what I found. And he goes and he sells all he has with joy in his heart. And I think even after we come to Christ, one of the great battles that we face, and maybe it's the main battle that we face, is the battle to hang on to that joy. To hang on to the joy of Christ that we once knew. And it can be hard to hang on to that joy when you know, the people around us who don't know Jesus sometimes seem to be living such secure and, and, and prosperous and pain-free lives, and we're not. Or it doesn't look like we are. Or when the things that we once rejected as being that integrated purpose in our lives, all of a sudden, you know, we get to a point in life where they start looking maybe more important to us or at least more rewarding than pleasing Jesus. And so we start trying to grab a hold of those things and maybe try to reorient things around them a little bit. Or, or you know, when, when, when the road to eternal joy leads through some pretty intense, if temporary, pain and grief, it can indeed be quite a battle to hang on to the joy of the Lord which is not the same thing as temporary happiness or pleasure. Those are different things because joy is eternal. And ultimately, it is rooted in knowing that the blessings that Jesus gives you are also eternal, including eternal life. But you know what? It isn't just about eternity because joy often breaks into this life. It often breaks into this life. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you might be just sitting there and have a sudden surge of joy when you realize something about how much God loves you or how much he's done for you. You know, like in, in the hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior, when Philip Bliss exclaims right in the middle of the, of the hymn, full atonement, can it be? You know, full atonement, am I really forgiven for all that sin forever and ever and ever? That's too good to be true. But it is, hallelujah. Amen. Boom, you know, worship. That happens sometimes. Other times, you know, there's other times when our, our joy in Christ is just a quiet contentment that sees goodness and truth and beauty for what they are, and we live our lives in the center of God's love on a daily, regular basis, and there's a joy there. I'm going to quote another hymn writer here. He says this, Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauties shine. Since I know, as now I know, that I am his and he is mine. Amen. Glory. And yet, and yet there's one joy that is going to outshine all the others. Every few weeks, including today, I get to see my grandson. And, uh, and it is so crazy how much I look forward to seeing him. We don't really do that much, you know? I mean, the kid just turned one a week ago, so it's not like we go out and play a set of tennis or, or do something like that, right? He's not even walking yet. So we mostly just do things like roll a ball back and forth in between him trying to eat it every other time that, that I send it to him. That's it. But you know what? Mysteriously, it's, it's so joyful every time he visits us because I, I just look for the first time that I catch his eye when he gets carried in the door and he sees me and he looks at me and he smiles as if to say, I remember you. Right? There's nothing like that. I don't know if you think, ever think, about what it will be like the first time that you catch Jesus' eye and he looks into your face and he smiles at you and he says, I know you. I know you. And I've been looking forward to spending a lot of time together. You won't care if you just roll a ball back and forth with Jesus for a little while, right? 
What's it going to be like to look into the face of the one who loved you so much that he gave up his life for you? That's really a good thing to meditate on and to look forward to. After all, you know what? He's looking forward to it as well. Because we're not the only ones who are pursuing joy. Jesus is also pursuing joy, and he wants his joy to be full, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus even endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. Do you have any idea what kind of a radical, incredible statement that is? See, when we come into the kingdom of God, here's how it's different. We don't, we don't earn our way into the kingdom of God or, or, or really purchase it. We just receive it as a gift. And so, yes, we let go of whatever's keeping us from receiving it, and we take hold of it. That's what we do. We get it for free. But Jesus had to purchase it. He had to earn the kingdom. Jesus had to buy his treasure, and the price was his own blood. But he did it joyfully. He's a joyful Savior. He suffered joyfully to obtain our salvation. And so the Bible tells us that, that being purchased out of our slavery by Jesus, we are now free to stop orienting our lives around lesser things that bring us lesser joy, and instead to pursue the kingdom with a joyful spirit, to show mercy to others with cheerfulness, Romans 12, 8, to give cheerfully, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, to find joy in the joy of others, 2 Corinthians 2, 3, to lead others with joy, elders and board members, Hebrews 13, 17, to suffer with joy when we're mistreated because of Jesus, Hebrews 10, 34, even to count it all joy when we experience trials and afflictions of various kinds, James 1, 2. It's all joy. Just one last observation, and then, then we'll go to the Lord's table. You know how when you're telling a story, um, sometimes you start in the past tense. You know, you're telling the story, and it happened, you know, a few weeks ago. So you say, we, last month, we went fishing. We drove to such and such a place, and we got on our boat. And we, so you're telling the story in the past tense, right? And so you, you go on, and you go on. But then, when the story starts to get exciting, what do you do? You jump into the present tense, right? So all of a sudden, you find yourself saying, so there I am, there I am, there I am in this boat, and this fish grabs the line, and it just about jerks it out of my hands. Well, where are, you're in the present tense now, aren't you? Why do you do that? You do that even subconsciously when you want to really draw somebody into your story. And there's something of that in the Greek language the Bible's written in, too. Did you notice what Jesus does here with the parable of the treasure in the field? He starts out in the past tense. But when the guy is finished hiding the treasure and he gets all excited and he's going to actually do the transaction to buy the field and secure the treasure, all of a sudden we're in the present tense. He goes and he does this and he buys it. And the only reason I can think of for that is that Jesus is trying to bring his listeners right in to this decisive moment. And I think he wants to bring you and me into it too. So right now, right now in the present tense, in this moment, what are you living for? What's the integrating purpose in your life? What's the thing that's the reason you do everything else? All the decisions, all the plans you have for today, for tomorrow, for this week, and the activities you're going to do. What, what's the purpose? What's the thing that, that, that brings it all together? Jesus is inviting you this morning to know the joy of orienting your life around the pursuit of his kingdom. Or, you know, a lot of you who are already believers, but if you're in that 
that's where you are and you've kind of lost your center recently and, and your life has suddenly, you find that it's been centered on something else, to rediscover the joy of seeking his kingdom first and to maybe figure out what you've put in its place. To rediscover the joy of, of looking forward to that moment when you see him face to face. And he says, I know you. Let's spend some time together.